0: Would you join with me in prayer? Dear Lord, I thank you so much. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to open it up safely. Thank you. And I pray that you fill us with your spirit, even as we open your word up to us. We give you this time. And thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. politically, this is a really important, special day. don't know if you remember this. Most of you will. In 275 A.D., The Roman Senate elected their last emperor. Back when that was actually an elected position. Um, they elected a guy named Tacitus as actor. No, they didn't actually have they didn't actually have a lot of choice in the matter because the Praetorian Guard kind of made them do it. Uh, they already picked him uh, because they felt really bad cuz the Praetorians had assassinated the last emperor Aurelian. Um, because another Praetorian officer had framed him and so they thought he was bad and so they murdered him and then it turned out he wasn't and they felt really bad about it. So they got a new emperor in. They said, we'd like you guys to elect Tacitus and they had pointed sticks when they said, we'd like you to elect Tacitus. Um, and then within a year, they, they assassinated Tacitus actually. So that's okay because his half-brother Florian took his chunk of the army and declared himself emperor and brought stability to the empire for two months until he got assassinated. And then a guy named Phobos got put stuck on there, and they assassinated him a little bit after. Point is, the ancient world, the succession of leadership and power was kind of an ugly thing. It was not fun. It was kind of sticky. And not only was it not fun, it wasn't even fun for the leaders. So you're like, I'm emperor of the known world for two months before they kill me too. Not a lot of fun. I say this because I'd like to open up the book of Joshua, and I'd like to talk about some lessons that we can learn in Joshua. And one of the first lessons that we should learn in Joshua is that the move from Moses to Joshua was really sweet. It was not only bloodless, it was actually affectionate. There's warmth and compassion and and encouragement and affirmation that go along with it. And you go... When I tell you that that was unusual in the ancient world, I just wanted to make sure you hear that. In the ancient world, it was not usually about that. It's usually either about singing your own praises or about killing somebody nastily. But that's not what we see here. In the book of Joshua, Joshua 1, chapter 1, after the death of Moses, the servant, literally the slave of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aide, actually, there's a couple words there, the servant word for Moses there is technically slave. The servant word for Joshua there is not—it's not aid. It's more like a, a, a temple servant, or, or like a um, maybe almost like a, a almost like a deacon. He's there to minister specifically. It's a different word. But also, you'll notice if you look at your Bible, it's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, right? So this isn't. Lord, as in the socio-political title of the guy who's in charge of me, this is the proper name of Yahweh. And I say that, sometimes I I like to point it out, and sometimes I'll I'll, I'll move on, but the writer uses that proper name ten times in this chapter. So I'm going to call that statistically significant and think that maybe the writer's trying to make a point. He's not just talking about God, because he also uses the word God. He's talking about this God. He's talking about Yahweh, and he's saying him by name. So he says, after the death of Moses, the slave of Yahweh, Yahweh said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' ministering servant, Moses, my servant, my slave, is dead. And and it's helpful to remember these words, because sometimes we can get this mental picture that Moses and Joshua are just buddies. They're in it together. They're partners. And and Joshua is just the younger partner and he takes over and Moses was special buddies with God. And it's helpful that even God is making it clear. It's like, nope, Moses was my servant and you served him. So this isn't talking about just we're all buddies, we're all equals. But even within those relationships, even within that relationship, there's this genuine love, this genuine respect that comes from this. Keep your finger if you want to in Joshua 1. But the last time, one of the last times that Moses has like a speaking part in the Bible is in Deuteronomy 31, verse 1. Moses went out and spoke these words to all of Israel. He said, I'm now 120 years old and I'm no longer able to lead you. The Lord has said to me, actually that's another use of the name Yahweh. And Moses uses Yahweh eight times in eight verses. So again, I'm going to come back to the writers trying to make a point. Moses is trying to make a point. What point does that make? If you keep saying Yahweh, 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 not just God, Yahweh, not just Lord, Yahweh. That's usually one of two things in scripture. Either you're trying to make a point of this God, not those gods, or not just a God. This one, if there's some kind of question. The other point that scripture tends to make is he's not just the deity out there. He's the God we know. He's personal. He's connected. I'm going to argue that's what we're seeing here today. Because he says, Yahweh himself said to me, you will not cross the Jordan. And not because he's too old, right? He just got finished saying, I'm 120. But he's not going to cross the Jordan, but not because he's old, right? Because technically, was it Deuteronomy 34 Seven, something like that. Talks about how he's still spry. He hasn't missed a step. 120, and he's still very tough because he's Charlton Heston, and he's cool, right? It's not that he's too old. It's that he hadn't been faithful. Back in Exodus 17, he'd been faithful. He'd been faithful when God said, take that staff that you've been holding and has been doing amazing things. Take that staff and smack a rock, and that rock is going to give water to thirsty people. He's faithful and he did it. He's faithful when God kept telling him to tell the people of Israel, the people of God, that only those who are faithful, those who are obeying God, are going to enter the promised land. He's faithful all over the place. In Numbers chapter 20, God told him to speak to a rock, convey God's authority. So Moses smacked it. doesn't seem like a big deal, except that it is kind of a big deal because he's been telling people if you can't obey God, you're not in right relationship with God. If you're going to disregard God, you're not going to get into the promised land. It's also a big deal because it suggests that he's more comfortable with what he's familiar with. You know, I've done that magic trick with a stick before. He's more comfortable with the magic trick than he is with the authority of God. And he's always had a problem with feeling like he's not much of a public speaker. And so when God goes to speak to it, he's like, I don't want to look stupid. Uh, I know this works. Smack. He trusts what he thinks he knows instead of trusting God. So Moses says, I'm 120 years old. I'm no longer able to lead you. God, Yahweh, has said to me, you're not going to cross the Jordan. Instead, Yahweh, your God himself, will cross over ahead of you. He will destroy those nations before you and, will take possession of, and you will take possession of their land. Joshua also will cross ahead of you, as Yahweh has said. So who's doing the heavy lifting once they get there? Who, who's actually conquering it? Yahweh is doing this, the God you know. Who's actually going to lead the people across the Jordan? Yahweh is leading the people across the Jordan. By the way, Joshua is going with him. But I want you to think about how that's phrased. Yahweh is going ahead of you across the Jordan. Oh, and Joshua. But Yahweh's your leader. We tend to think, ah, so Moses tossed the baton to Joshua. He was the leader, and now Joshua's the leader. And you go, Yahweh's the leader. Joshua is coming alongside Yahweh. He's the one who's with you. So he says, be strong and courageous. Moses tells all the people, don't be afraid or terrified because of the people that you're going to be conquering, that Yahweh is going to be conquering for you. Because of those giants that you thought you saw back in Numbers 13. Remember when when the scouts went ahead of them into Canaan and said, man, they're so big. They're so big. They're so much bigger than we are. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes compared to them. And I know we look like that to them. Did you ask them? no but i just know we did there's what i know and god says you can take him caleb says you can take him joshua says we can take him and the rest of the scouts went i just know we can't i'm going to trust what i what i know not what not what god is saying so an entire generation wanders in the desert they were just outside the door and then they wander god says no don't be afraid moses says guys don't be afraid Do not be afraid or terrified because of those giants. For Yahweh, your God, goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Yahweh is there. He's personal. He's connected with us. He's right there. There are whole bumper stickers that lie to you. I don't know if you, I don't want to disillusion you. You cannot always trust the bumper sticker. But there are bumper stickers that lie to you, and they say God will never give you more than you can handle which is a lie. They're lying to you to get you to buy the bumper sticker. Don't do that. Because God gives you more than you can handle all the stinking time. Doesn't he? He never promises you never to throw you into the deep end of the pool. He never promises you that the road is going to be easy. He never promises you that you'll be able to handle everything. He never does. He always promises that he'll be there with you by the side of the pool. My dad taught me to swim by throwing me in the deep end of the pool. But he stood there right on the side, and I knew that he would jump in if I needed him to. His dad, interestingly enough, threw him into the Kishwaukee River and walked away. Fundamentally different. Both of us learned to swim really fast. Both of us had a very different relationship with our father after that. But God says, I'm not promising not to throw you into the deep end. I'm saying I'm always going to be there. I'm not promising you you're not going to have to drive up a mountain trail. I am promising you I will provide shock absorbers. I'm not promising you that you will have a clear road in front of you all the time. I am promising you my GPS will never fail. God is bigger than the giants you think you are facing. Which doesn't mean you are never going to face giants. But Yahweh is with you. Not just, well, there's a deity out there making sure everything runs on time. No. And technically, if I really want to get philosophical about it, if we talk about God is there with you during hard times, every day is hard times. None of this is what it was supposed to be like originally. This whole world is broken. Every relationship you have is broken. Everything in this life is technically more than you should be trying to handle on your own. Help me out. Show me the Bible verse where God says, if things get really rough, you can pray. Because I remember a few verses saying things like, in everything, make sure you keep on praying. Because nothing is what's you're supposed to handle on your own. It's not a matter of God allowing some hardships on some days. It's a matter of every day being a hardship, of every day in this broken world having brokenness in it, and every day God bringing provision. Sometimes it's a cold compress and some Advil because you need it, and you say, oh, that feels good. Some days it's a fish you didn't want to swallow you. But provision's there because Yahweh is there all the time. Amen? That's the promise, and people are like, ah, so we'll never have any problems. go, not what I'm saying. Not what the Bible is saying. It may not seem like a huge philosophical difference, but to me it's profound. How can you truly ever worry about God being there during hard times if you remind yourself that he's always there, that every day has hard times, it's not a matter of hard times of those things looming next week. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen next month when I don't know what's going to happen in November. I don't know what's going I don't know what's going to happen. Those aren't the hard times. It's all messed up and God is always there. It's just a matter of gradations. And if God is the same yesterday, today and tomorrow, then I shouldn't really be that affected by gradations? should I? Because he's still bigger than all of that. So be strong and courageous. Not because you're so tough. That's not where real courage comes. Those guys are dangerous on the battlefield. The guys that jump on the battlefield go, yeah, I got this. You go, that is not the guy I want next to me on the battlefield. I want the guy that goes, I've got your back. That's what I want. I want confidence, not cockiness. Be strong and courageous, not because you're so tough, but because you understand what God is doing for you every day. Don't be afraid or terrified, not because you're so gutsy, but because you remind yourself that you may look like grasshoppers to your own eyes. But aren't we called to be looking at life, to be looking at ourselves, to be looking at our neighbors through God's eyes? having a better perspective than what we would naturally have. So be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. Don't be terrified. And Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the presence of all Israel, be strong and courageous, which is what he just said to all Israel, right? He just said that. I think he just said that. And now he's saying it specifically to Joshua in front of everybody. Be strong and courageous, for you must walk with these people into the land that Yahweh swore to their forefathers to give them. And you must divide it among them in, as their inheritance. I mean, Yahweh is going to be their leader, but you're going to be going before them as you walk with God before you. You step where God wants you to, they step where you step. So make sure you have a personal relationship with Yahweh, Joshua. Don't just be strong, though Joshua is. Don't just be courageous, though Joshua is. Don't just be a good military leader, though Joshua is. Have a relationship with Yahweh and understand what it is God's going to be doing for you. He's going to be walking with you. Yahweh himself goes before you and will be with you. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. Hey, we get that again. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. How many times does the Bible have to say something before we should believe that it's true? Once. He keeps getting, don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. Be strong. Be courageous. Later on, in Deuteronomy 34:1, Moses climbed up to Mount Nebo from the plains of Moab to the top of Pisgah, across from Jericho. There Yahweh showed him the whole land, and Yahweh said to him, this is the land I promised on oath, to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob when I said, I will give it to your descendants. I've let you see it with your eyes, but you're not going to cross over into it. This is a half full, half empty moment. Is this God being mean and going, you don't get to go. Look, 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 it's pretty. Milk, honey, not for you. (laughs) Ha, 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 die. No. He's already talked with Moses. He's like, oh, You know you're not going in here, and you know why you're not going in here. I warned all of you. I had you warn everyone that a rebellious generation, a generation that says, I'm going to trust what I think rather than what God thinks, is not going to enter in. And then you allied yourself with that generation instead of my people. I warned you, but I still wanted you to see. I wanted you to be able to look over and see Moses. Your faithfulness to lead the people got them here. Thank you. Your faithlessness is keeping you on this side of the river. But I'm still faithful. I'm still faithful to them. I'm still faithful to you. But I wanted you to be able to see. Thank you. I wanted you to be able to see that you can rest now. I want you to be able to see that they're safe, as safe as they're going to let themselves be. I want you to rest. Because the next verse says, And Moses, the servant of Yahweh, died there in Moab, as Yahweh had said. And he buried him in Moab in the valley opposite Beth Peor. Who buried him? There's all sorts of people that will try to figure out what the text meant. But what the text says is he buried him there. The only two he's we've got are Moses that just died and Yahweh who was with him at the end. Yahweh stayed with him, held his hand as this old man died, said, Thank you, faithful servant. I myself will bury you here. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'm not telling you that you're in trouble. I am punishing you and keeping you from the promised land. And I love you and I will bear you myself because I will never leave you nor forsake you. How personal is Yahweh? And if he is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, how personal is your relationship with Yahweh? So in Joshua 1, because we're, we're technically in Joshua, I don't know if... Joshua 1, one After the death of Moses, the servant of Yahweh, Yahweh himself said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' ministering servant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Not, he didn't just drop a bomb on him. As near as we can tell, this is informing him. Moses was just alone on Mount Nebo. He was just alone in Moab. And, and Yahweh says, let me tell you, Moses has passed. I was there with him. I buried him in a hill overlooking the promised land. Now let's talk about you. This is God being conscientious even to Joshua at the beginning. He says, now then, you, Joshua, you and all these people, get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them, to the Israelites, to this land that I promised Abraham and his descendants, the land you guys came from. People forget this sometimes. They're like, well, how come they rape Canaan? You you came from here. This was your place before you all went over to Egypt. Remember, this was yours. And I promised to give it to you. I promised to have you have this land. You're finally coming home after centuries of exile, after half a century of wandering. I remember what it was like for us as a family, for me to look at Glencoe in Scotland. That's, that's where my family's from. That's my homeland. And I was there for a day, and I was bawling my eyes out. He says, I'm giving you this land back, and it's yours. This is your land. I can only imagine what they were thinking. He says, I will give you every place where you set your foot, because it has always been yours. As I promised to Moses, your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon, from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, which is where those giants had been back in Numbers 13. From the great river the Euphrates to the great sea, the Mediterranean Sea on the west, no one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. And as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. How many times does the Bible have to say something before it's true? But let me keep saying this. And it's not just an empty promise because Joshua knows God. He's seen God at work. He's He's seen the great plagues of Egypt, right? He's seen the pillar of smoke and fire that led them. He's seen the parting of the Red Sea. He's seen Yahweh's heart for Moses, even after Moses screwed up. And God says, Joshua, let me tell you, I will never abandon you. And Joshua believed him. Not because Joshua is so tough, but because he knows God. He's seen it. He's got a personal relationship with God. So God says to Joshua, just in verse 6, be strong and courageous, which is the same thing that God had said to Moses, and Moses had said to everyone, and now God is specifically saying it to Joshua. How many times does God have to say something before you believe it? Oh, wait, no, that's a different question than I asked before. I was careful to phrase it that way. I didn't ask how many times does God just say something before you should believe it. I asked how many times does God have to say something before you do believe it. Yeah, because if, if, if you keep going once, 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 how many times before you do? I don't know, six, 12, 112, I don't know. So there's what you should do, and then there's what makes sense to you. at least a couple times already in the text we've seen, when people go, I already know how this works. God goes, no, 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 no. Listen to the words coming out of my mouth. You go, I don't need to. I already know how this works. Jesus said, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Yes? That's what you always do. Yes? It's not what I always do, and I'm a pastor. I'm supposed to be perfect. No, for anybody watching online, that was sarcasm. No. We're supposed to say, somebody is absolutely declaring themselves my enemy. Somebody is absolutely mistreating me. Somebody is absolutely on the wrong side of that fence. Absolutely wrong. And I want to show them absolutely nothing but love. And if I don't, then I am just as worldly as they are. Who cares if I'm on the right side of the line or not? I have now become on the wrong side of the line. How many times does the Bible have to say something before you should follow it? Once. How many times before you do? I don't know. Because even though the Bible says this sort of thing over and over and over, Solomon, Paul, feed your enemies, be there for them, love them, help them, we struggle. Because even though we're forgiven, we're still broken. Even though our cup is washed clean, it's still cracked. So, why does God say over and over, be strong and courageous? At this particular moment, after Joshua has just lost his beloved Moses and God is now calling him into a leadership role, how much did Joshua apparently need to hear? Be strong, be courageous. "'Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. I'm there with you. I will always be there with you. I will never abandon you. Trust me. Seriously, be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. Seriously, I will be there, and I will never leave you or forsake you.'" And you go, "'I don't know what he's trying to get at.'" "'Seriously?' "'Be strong and courageous, Joshua, for you will lead these people to inherit the land. I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be faithful.'" Because I am faithful, and again he says, "Be strong and very courageous." For those of you counting, in Scripture, technically this is the fifth time Joshua has heard this. Five times. Be strong and courageous. I mean, on one level, that suggests that maybe Joshua is a little daunted. Or maybe God is preparing him for really big things coming up. Or maybe God is warning him not to fall into the same pitfalls that Moses did. All of the above. But I'm also reminded that Paul himself in 1 Corinthians 10 says specifically that these things happened to them in the wilderness. To Moses, to Joshua, to these people in the wilderness. These things happened as examples and were written down as warnings for us, as lessons for us today on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. So when we hear what God is telling Joshua about having faith and staying strong and not getting lost in fear or discouragement, even Paul says, yeah, that's for you guys. Can you guys learn from this? Because that's a lesson for you. The reason it was written down is for you guys. It happened for Moses and Joshua and those people. It was written down for you guys. So learn this. You guys apply this. Joshua 1.7. God says, be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Don't turn from it to the right or to the left. You may be successful wherever you go. Don't let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. And now we're in a prosperity doctrine message. I'm going to give you a 30-second prosperity doctrine message. You want success in life? You want to prosper? Be strong and courageous because you're actually basing everything on the Word of God, which you know because you're actually meditating on it day and night. You're welcome. What? You mean, do I get a Maserati? Shut up. That's not what I'm talking about. You want to be successful and prosperous in all the ways that matter? Be strong and courageous, not because you're tough, not because you're gutsy but because you follow the Word of God. You base your life on Scripture because you meditate on it day and night. Do that. Every Sunday morning. No. Every day. Meditate on Scripture all the time. Because Just wait for Pastor Kevin to tell me what it means. No. Open up your Bible so that every day you get to feel God's voice in your head. You get to the point where you recognize it so that when you hear error, you go, I don't even know if I can put my finger on it and I think that's wrong. Why? Because I am starting first and foremost with the scriptures, with the word of God and not just what makes sense to me or to the internet or to business gurus. I want to base this on this. And if your life seems off kilter, your family seems off kilter, your relationships seem off kilter, your walk with God seems off kilter, just maybe start for a second by checking to see how you're doing on the two things that God specifically says to do. Are you letting fear and discouragement overwhelming you? Are you not really in the word of God? Are you stapling the word of God to other things, but starting with those things? I don't know but be strong and, and courageous. And be careful to meditate on God's word and actually obey it. Trust that God knows what he's doing, and then do that. Because those commands sure suggest that you're going to run into their corollaries, doesn't it? Those commands suggest that you're going to run into times in your life that are scary-seeming, but be strong and courageous. They suggest you're going to run into times in your life where there's, you're going to have the inclination to ignore God and not follow his word. And there will be really good reasons why, You should just ignore God, Are really good reasons why you can't really really believe that verse, or you can't really follow that truth, or that was for another time, or this is a... Be strong and courageous. Be careful to meditate on God's word and actually obey it. I am not asking you to toughen up, because this world is going to throw things at you you cannot handle. I am asking you. God is commanding you. I'm just asking you faith up. Believe that God actually can handle the stuff that you can't. Relinquish your fears because you know that you're walking where and how he wants you to. And you don't just suspect it, you know it because you're actually meditating on his word day and night. And when you realize that you realize that none of this and none of your success and none of your prosperity is up to you except and how you respond to the situations in your life. How do you attitudinally respond? How do you choose to respond? God's doing all the heavy lifting. What are you doing? Haven't I commanded you, God says, be strong and courageous. The sixth time Joshua is being told this. Don't be terrified. Don't be discouraged. For Yahweh, your God, will be there with you wherever you go. And where you go, where God sends you, you are going to face terrifying things and discouraging things. Which is why I'm telling you, don't be terrified and don't be discouraged. Because I'm right there with you. And if God's with you, if God is for us, who can be against us? If I'm walking with God, if I remember what he's doing for me every day, how can I go to dark places? How do I lose sight of that? How do I lose faith? How do I, how do I get angry and bitter against the world and hateful toward people that I see as enemies? And how do I stress? And how do I... Didn't Jesus cover this? It's a whole parable of the sower and seeds and soils that you can look at as to why people lose sight and get choked out. Look that up. Maybe the short version is this. We struggle for the same reason that Peter sank. Because we stop looking at God. We stop looking at what God's even actually doing right now. And we focus on how I don't like that. And that gets bigger than God. God says, don't let that happen. And I give Joshua tons of credit. He ordered the officers of the people. And he said, go through the camp. Tell the people, nothing's changed. All I heard is that Moses is dead. Nothing else has changed, right? We're still out in the wilderness, yes? Except I heard from God. So go throughout the camp. Tell the people, get your supplies ready. Three days from now, you're going to cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land Yahweh, your God, is giving you for your own. Not Moses, not me, not your own hard work. Nope yahweh is doing this yahweh is doing this what you've waited 40 years for what you waited centuries of enslavement for that happens in three days nothing else has changed everything looks the way it did yesterday except that moses is now dead that's the only obvious change as we look around but i know what god is doing so i tell you what you've been waiting for for centuries Three days we go home. Three days. I love that. I love that. I even love the little section that most of us kind of skip over here because he starts talking about Reubenites and Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh, and we all go, Glaze. But I love this. This is the group. He says to the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh, all those guys who back in Numbers 32 said, you know, I think we're just going to stay on this side of the river. Y'all can have the promised land. We like it here. Okay, he says, to those guys, Joshua said, remember the command Moses, the servant of Yahweh, gave you. Yahweh, your God, is giving you rest, has granted you this land. Your wives, your children, your livestock, they can stay on this land that Moses gave you east of the Jordan. Enjoy it. That's God's gift to you as much as the promised land is the gift to the rest of us. But your fighting men, fully armed, have to cross ahead of your brothers. You're going to actually come and help us take this. This is yours. God's giving you this. But there aren't any spectators here. You're still part of the people of God. So you guys are coming with us. In fact, you guys are leading the assault. You guys are coming with us until Yahweh gives them, gives them rest. You can have rest. Your family is going to have rest right now. But until God gives everyone rest, you're coming with us. And until they too have taken the possession of the land that Yahweh your God is giving to them. And after that, you can go home. That's great. But there are no spectators. There's no spect- are there spectators in the family? Are there any people in the family who go, yeah, well, no, he's not really involved. No, there's no spectators in the family. There's no spectators in the people of God. And remember, Paul says, these things happen to them in the wilderness as examples and lessons for you guys. Well, this isn't really involving me. This is involving them. Really? Okay, are you connected? Are you still part of the same family? Are you still part of the same capital C church? Yeah, then it's affecting you too. This is you too. You don't know those people in Paraguay in that church? I don't care. Are they in a church? Are they your brothers and sisters? Yeah, then you're involved too. And then they answered Joshua. Whatever you have commanded us, we will do, and wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we've, listen for it, just as we fully obeyed Moses. This is the only actual negative part of the whole place. You can picture Joshua going, please don't phrase it that way. Just as we fully obeyed Moses, so will we obey you. Only may Yahweh your God be with you, as he was with Moses. And whoever rebels against your word, whoever doesn't obey your words, Joshua, whatever you command, whatever you may say, those people will be put to death just be strong and courageous that's all we ask seventh time that this guy in rapid succession is told to be strong and courageous how many times do you and I need to be told the lessons that god wants us to learn and that's a purposely tricky way of phrasing that how many times do we need to be, need once no we need more than once Oh, that totally depends on my response to it, doesn't it? Yes. It totally does. Just like Jonah ended on a question mark and you're required to respond. I would be remiss if I gave you any other applications today than be strong and courageous because you've actually based yourself on a meditation of God's word and you're actually obeying it. How does how does Ecclesiastes end? Fear God, only God, not anybody else, just God. And follow his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. Isn't that the same thing? Don't fear what they fear. Trust God and obey what he's doing. Obey his commands. Meditate on his word and do that. The Bible keeps coming at this over and over and over again. So as for us and this house, not this building, this house, we'll serve God, right? Right? We are going to choose to be strong and courageous and to actually meditate on his word. Aren't we? Isn't that what we should do? That we should truly be reminding ourselves of the lesson that Paul tells us to pay attention to. We're going to encourage one another on a daily basis. No, the way you're reacting is not strong and courageous. It's fearful. No, the way you're acting is not based on God's word. Let's go back to that together. Yes, I know that this is big, but you're doing exactly the right thing by trusting God if this is what God is leading us in. Yes, that is what Scripture says, and that's what we're going to do. That is how we're going to look at this. Can we commit to that? Before we think that we are going to enter into some promised land, before we say things are going to get better, can we commit to actually doing that? To making no decisions based on stress and all decisions based on Scripture? This is just the first of some really good lessons I think we see in Joshua. But only if we have ears in hear. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for your truth that never changes. In an unchanging world, it's still applicable. It's just, we just have to actually take the time to apply it. And so I pray, Lord, help us to be built on the foundation of your word, led by the the navigation of your Spirit. Help us to genuinely believe that you are Yahweh, our God, whom we know and who walks with us every day. In Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen.